0: Hey, good evening, how are we doing, camp? Right? Oh, very good. All right, if you got a Bible with you, John chapter 4 is where we're going to be tonight. John chapter 4 as we continue our teaching through uh, the, the Gospel of John and, and really looking at the life of Jesus. Let me, let me recap up until this point. So the first night we looked at the prologue, the intro to the Gospel of John, where we tried to understand how John summarized Jesus' whole life. And if you remember, we see that Jesus was the creator, the one who created all things and therefore he defines all things. And then John summarizes the life of Jesus, not as a teacher or a miracle worker or a really good person, but he summarizes it as an individual who is filled with two things. He is filled with grace, and he is filled with truth. He's filled with grace and truth, the full measure of both. Then this morning what we started to see is people are questioning who Jesus is and what he's all about, and they begin to be curious about who this individual is. Jesus is like the new kid at school that everyone wants to know about, and everyone wants to know what is going on with this individual. Through the rest of chapter one, Jesus begins to call his first disciples. He begins to invite people to follow him step by step, day by day, every day of their lives. He says, come and follow me. Come and see what this is all about. In chapter two, what we begin to see is some dynamic things start to happen in Jesus' ministry. We see Jesus' first miracle where he turns water into wine. We see Jesus go into the temple and cause a big fuss and a big ruckus saying, I am here to redefine everything you thought you knew about God. Then in chapter 3, we see a famous interaction with Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus is the one who comes to Jesus at night and begins to inquire about Jesus. And Jesus tells Nicodemus something strange. He says "You must be born again this is a fascinating and cryptic phrase that Nicodemus doesn't quite understand. And yet Jesus is trying to explain that he's not just trying to set up a new religion or moral system. He's trying to say that through him, everything about your life changes. And then in that same chapter, chapter 3, we will see the most famous words probably in all of the Bible, most well-known words in all the Bible, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever should believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. See, Jesus' ministry bursts onto the scene, and suddenly everyone wants to know about him. And tonight, tonight we're going to look at John 4, 5, and 6. We're going to move quickly through those chapters and just give an overview and try to answer this question. Who is this Jesus? And tonight I want to tell you my burden. My burden for tonight's message is really clear. That you would have a clear picture of who Jesus actually is so let me speak to you if you grew up in church, if you consider yourself a Christian. My burden for you if you consider yourself a Christian is that some of you have never really thought deeply about who Jesus is. And so you kind of have ideas about Jesus or feelings about Jesus or opinions about Jesus, but you haven't actually looked to the Bible to shape who Jesus is. And so when you're worshiping Jesus, what we end up doing, if we're not clear on what the Bible says about who Jesus is, what we end up doing is creating an idealized version of ourself. Actually, Tim Keller says it this way. It's brilliant. He says, if you if your God, if your Jesus never disagrees with you, you are probably just worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Like, you know what he's saying there? Like, some of you have created a Jesus who's like a really nice, better version of you. And, and so your Jesus believes all the things you believe, all the things you happen to believe. Guess what? Jesus believes it. And so you just think Jesus is like this really cool dude who's kind of just like you, except a little better And here's what I want you to know. Jesus represents a God who is nothing like you. He's not a better version of you. He's not just like you in your best version. He is entirely and utterly different. And I want you to see that in Jesus tonight. If you're a Christian, I want you to stop believing in some kind of secondhand Jesus you've heard about and rather see him clearly. And then let me speak to you if you're not a Christian because again, I just assume there are some of you in this room who are still skeptical, still trying to figure out where you stand with Jesus. You're at camp. You're kind of obviously kind of seeking and open to it, but you're not bought into this thing yet. Here's what I want for you. I desperately want you to receive Jesus this week, but I also want you to know that if you reject Jesus this week, I want you to reject the actual Jesus of the Bible, not some made-up version you've heard about in culture or online. Like, I don't want you to reject some Jesus you've heard about on TikTok. I want reject the actual Jesus of the Bible. I don't want you to reject some Jesus that you heard a Christian talking about once or some impression you have of Jesus. If you're going to reject Jesus, I want you to reject the real thing. And if you're going to receive Jesus, I want you to receive the actual Jesus who's described for us in the Bible. See, tonight I won't say everything there is to say about Jesus. That would take hours and days. And in fact, the scriptures say, John says, it would take the entire age of the world. The world cannot contain the stories about Jesus. But I want you to see a few things bright and clear about Jesus tonight. But in order to us thinking properly um, about Jesus here tonight, I want to begin with this. I want to begin um, by thinking with you for just a moment uh, about superhero movies. Anyone here a fan of like Marvel movies, superhero movies? Okay, a bunch of you. Yeah, they're like the only movies that make any money nowadays. So like they make them over and over again. And then I just want to point this out. If you're like a super fan, you're probably going to be like, no, technically you're wrong. But just like if you're a super fan, roll with me. If you're like an average superhero film fan, here's just what I want you to recognize. Every superhero movie basically goes the same exact way. Ever notice that? It's the same movie. Scene one, everything's going well. It's pleasant, it's happy. Birds are chirping, people are having picnics. Scene number two, something goes horribly wrong, right? It's usually like aliens invade from space, bad guy sets off a bomb, someone kidnaps someone. It goes terribly, terribly wrong. Scene one, everything's going great. Scene two, something goes terribly wrong. Scene three, The superhero or superheroes step in to try to save the day. You ever notice that you watch a new movie, you're like, oh, this is a fascinating new movie, but you've seen the same plot go over and over and over again. And do you know why you will go back to every movie and see the same plot over and over and over again? It's because that plot is not made up by Marvel. They didn't come up with it. DC Comics did not come up with that plot. That plot is as ancient as human beings are themselves. In fact, that plot is the plot of God and the story of the Bible. You want to know what the story of the Bible is? Scene one, God creates everything, and Genesis one says everything is good. And then God creates human beings, and he says this is very good. Scene one, everything is good. Scene two, something goes horribly wrong. See, the story of the Bible, whether you believe this or not, is that human beings, through their decisions, brought evil and wickedness and sin into the world. That Adam and Eve, because of their decision, let sin, wickedness, unleashed it on the world. And everything went horribly wrong. So if scene one is everything right. Scene two in every superhero movie is something goes horribly wrong. What's scene three? The hero comes onto the scene. Now here's what you need to know. The hero that first comes onto the scene is not Jesus. What we actually see is a number of heroes come onto the scene. See, God creates a number of positions, a number of roles, a number of ways that he's going to rescue and redeem his people. And if you're writing down notes tonight, I want you to write the three heroes that we see all throughout the Old Testament. There's three kinds of them. Three kinds of individuals God has sent to rescue and redeem his people from the curse of sin. The first are prophets. The first are prophets. Write that down. The second are priests. And the third are kings. Prophets. Priests kings here's what the prophets did prophets when we hear prophet we think of someone who tells the future and sometimes they did this but you know what the actual job of the prophet was the prophet's job was to tell the people what God had to say in the old King James version that some of your parents and grandparents read it's this the prophets would say thus saith the Lord here's what God has to say the prophet's job was to tell the people what God had to say the second type of person was priests you know what the priests did the priests dealt with the sin of the people. The priests looked at the people and saw their sin and offered sacrifices to God on behalf of the people for their sin. There was the prophets. There was the priests. What was the third one? The kings. What did the kings do? The kings ruled over God's people. God pleaded with his people not to want a king, but they said, we want a king. And so God sometimes looks at us in our sin and goes, okay, if you want that, knock yourself out. So he gives them kings. And most of the kings of the people of God in the Old Testament were not wonderful, benevolent, super great kings. Do you know that? Like most of the kings in the history of the Bible are total disasters. Like complete disasters. And so here's what happens. These kings step in and their job is to rule over the people of God. You've got prophets and priests and kings. And all over the Old Testament, it's a mixed bag. You've got some really great kings and some really bad kings. Some really great priests and some really bad priests. Some really great prophets and some really bad prophets. And they try to push back against the evil, but they're not strong enough. Again, it's kind of like the superhero movie. Again, you've watched the same movie over and over and over again. Because the bad thing always happens. The superheroes come in. They always fight the bad guy the first time. And do they ever beat the bad guy the first time? No! They're always like, dang, we didn't win, right? And then they go away. And they regroup. And they didn't win. And this is what happens. God sends these individuals, these prophets and priests and kings, into this world to show that there is no individual who is able to push back against sin. And so, what God does is He sends someone entirely different. See, He sends Jesus into this world. And here's what you need to know about my Jesus Jesus wasn't just a prophet, He wasn't just a priest, He wasn't just a king. Jesus was all three, and He was the final and the best. He was the superhero who stepped into the scene, who stepped into the story, who actually had the power and the capacity to defeat and push back evil. Jesus is the final prophet who reveals who God is to us. Jesus is the final priest who finally and fully deals with our sin. And he is the final king who rules over God's people. I want you to see that tonight here in the text. Again, we're going to be in John chapter 4. We'll start here in verse 3. It says, so Jesus left Judea and he went back once more to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria, so he went to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, Jesus opens a conversation with this woman, and then the conversation goes all over the place. I'm not going to read the whole thing. What I'm going to tell you is they're talking about water, suddenly they're talking about worship, suddenly they're talking about the fact that she had five husbands, and she goes, I think you're a prophet, and suddenly there's this whole random conversation that's going like a hundred different directions. It's like a cabin discussion I'm sure some of you have had this week. You ever had a cabin discussion that's like, that's what they're having. They're having this like wild out there conversation, and Jesus, here's what I love about my Jesus, can I just tell you? Jesus isn't like, excuse me, we're not talking about that right now. You know what Jesus does? He just rolls with her, because Jesus is willing to meet you where you're at. I think some of you have in your mind that Jesus says, I'll be up in heaven. You come to me when you're ready. No, no, no. Jesus says, I'll come to you exactly where you're at. I will meet you in your pain. I will meet you in your brokenness. He meets this woman in her brokenness. Skip down to verse 25. Here's what it says. The woman, after this whole wild conversation, says, well, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Like, in other words, this woman goes, listen, we've just had a wild Cabin discussion all over the place, a thousand different directions. But here's the good news, Mr. Man standing in front of me. Someday, God is going to send the Messiah. And if you notice in your Bible, I think it might say what mine says, called the Christ. Those are the same words, by the way. In case you don't know that. Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, same word. One is Hebrew, one is Greek. It says, one day the Messiah, called the Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he'll sort everything out. It's like she's given up on the conversation because she's so confused. And then I want you to see Jesus' claim. Jesus then declared, I, the one who is speaking to you, I am he. And in this moment, Jesus, for the very first time in his ministry, reveals and declares to the world that he is the Messiah. Now don't miss this. This is so cool. Notice Jesus didn't declare that he was the Messiah. He didn't reveal his identity to the religious rulers, to the secular rulers, to the emperor, to the big powerful people. Jesus found the most broken woman who had sinned sexually beyond anything most of us can imagine. She had had five husbands and she's currently living with a man who's not her husband. She is just living in all of this mess, all of this shame, all of this guilt. And Jesus is like, that's the exact woman I came for. Like, can I just speak that over someone here? who feels like your life is too messy for Jesus. No, 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 no. Your life is the exact kind of life Jesus came to save. Like, I just need someone to hear that tonight who just feels too gross for God. God's like, no, no, no. I came into the world to save sinners like you. And he looks at this woman and he says, I am the Messiah. He reveals himself to be the Messiah to this woman and to no one else at this point. And this is a beautiful thing. He declares himself to be the Messiah. Now, again, we said the word Messiah and Christ are the same word. And here's what that word means. That, that word Messiah is not like, like the word Christ or Messiah is not like Jesus' last name. Like sometimes we're like the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not like his last name is Christ, okay? Christ is his title, not his name. Like earlier we were singing this. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. Like we all sang that earlier. But do you know that when you're singing, I believe in Christ the Son, you're not just replacing Christ for Jesus, Jesus the Son. What you're saying is that Jesus actually holds a title, and that title is Christ. That title is Messiah. Like if we look at someone and we say, he's the president, he's the governor, we're not saying that's his name. We're saying that's the position and the title he holds. And when we say that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, what we are saying is that he is the anointed king over God's people. Listen to me. Every time you sing a song or pray a prayer where you reference Jesus Christ, you are implicitly and explicitly declaring that Jesus is king. That he is the king over your life. And because he is king, he owns you, he gets to define you, he gets to shape you, he gets to tell you how to live, because that's what it means to be the king. The king does not mean Jesus is just like vaguely in charge somewhere. It means that I owe him my allegiance, my life. He owns me. Everything belongs to him. I have no rights before him. Everything belongs to him. And that is such a radically different vision than what most people have of Jesus. You can write this down. You know what most people want from Jesus? They want him to be an advisor. That's what most people want from Jesus. They want Jesus to give them helpful advice when they're in a pinch. When they don't know what to say to their mom, or they don't know what to do with this drama with their friends, or they don't know what to do with this thing going on in their life, they want Jesus to come along and shed some nice advice so that they can decide whether or not to obey it. But that's not what Jesus came to be. Jesus is not your advisor. If Jesus is Messiah, if he is the Christ, he is your king. Which means when Jesus says to do something, if you're saying he's the king, you do it. Even if you don't understand it. Even if you don't like it. Even if you don't particularly want to. Last night I shared the whole verse about forgiveness. And I shared I don't like forgiving people. When someone wounds me, I want to rain fire upon them. I want to destroy them and hurt them at least as much as they hurt me. But my Jesus says I'm not allowed to do that. You know what he tells me to do? He tells me to forgive. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to obey him because he's the king. You know what Jesus tells me to do through the scriptures? Jesus tells me that I am only to have sexual relations with my wife. Listen, I know that's not popular in this room. I know that's not popular in your generation. I know it's not popular anywhere in the world ever. Like one man, one woman in marriage, like that's what it's supposed to be. You're supposed to be in marriage and that's the only place where sex is this healthy, beautiful, wonderful gift that God has given us. I know that's not popular, but if Jesus told me to do it, he's not my advisor, he's my king. And so if I am walking in in disobedience to that, what I'm doing is I'm disobeying, I'm sinning against God. God doesn't just get to give me advice. He's actually my king and he tells me what to do with my sex life, with my money, with my friends, with my family. I'm just not at liberty to define how I want to live if Jesus is actually my king, if he is actually my messiah. You see what I mean by me wanting you to have a clear picture of Jesus? Because some of you have Jesus as your buddy, your pal, and Jesus does say to his disciples, you are my friends, but he is also their king. And I want you to never misunderstand that Jesus is in charge he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the King of the Jews, the King of Israel, the King of God's people. And he rules over our lives. Let's jump over to chapter 5, verse 1. We're gonna, again, we're going to move quickly through these three chapters. Chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem to one of the Jewish festivals. Now there was in Jerusalem near the Sheep's Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida. Bethsaida means the house of mercy. So he goes to the house of mercy, and it's surrounded by five color-covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie—the blind and the lame and the paralyzed—and one here there who had been an invalid for thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he and he learned that he had been in this condition a long time. He asked him, "Do you want to get well again? Look at me right now. This is my Jesus." There's all of these people who have, they're paralyzed, they're not doing well, they're invalids, they're laying there. They're the people that everyone, even in our culture today, so often people just want to cast people with physical disabilities off to the side. But you know what I love about my Jesus? Jesus says it's like a heat-seeking missile toward people who are hurting. And if you're looking at God going like, I'm a mess, my life isn't so great, maybe you have some physical challenges in your life. You know what I love about my God? He sees your challenges. He knows you. He has mercy for you. Like, this is what I love about my Jesus. Like, yes, he's the king, but he's also the humble king who stoops down to serve the people who are hurting the most. This is what I love about my Jesus. He walks straight up to this man that everyone else has ignored for 38 years, almost four decades, and he says, do you want to get well? Verse 7 says, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool, and when the water is stirred, and I try to get in. Uh, I'm sorry, I try to get in, someone else gets in ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once, he was cured, he picked up his mat, and he walked. Like, this is my Jesus. He's a miracle worker. That's what he does. With his very words, he can heal and change reality. Do you know what the Bible begins with? The Bible begins with God creating the entire world. And what does it say? Does it say God, like, used his hands and started, like, whipping things up? No. What does it say? It said God spoke, let there be light, and light came into existence. The very word of God can change reality, and this is what my Jesus does. He speaks, and he changes reality. This is a miracle, and Jesus has that power in this story, and hear me on this. Jesus has that power now. It's like, listen, there are times I've prayed for healing over people, and that has not happened. And yet there are times I pray for healing and God has come through in power. And I have seen things that medicine cannot explain. This is my Jesus. He is not beholden to me. He owes me nothing. And yet he has the capacity to heal illnesses, to heal disease, to step in and to change reality. It goes on this way in verse 9. It says, the day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. And the law forbids you to carry your mat. So um, the, 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 the Jewish religion, really all of Old Testament, actually has a teaching on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is this one day a week where you are not supposed to do work. And what they say is the law forbids you to pick up your mat. Now the law, the technical Bible didn't say don't pick up mats. But they had created all of these other rules around it to make sure no one ever violated the law. And this is the problem with Religion. The problem with religion is we start to create all kinds of other rules that we're supposed to follow that God never actually said. So earlier when we were singing that song, break down the walls of all my religion, we're not trying to be atheists. We're just not trying to be a religious people who are so caught up in a religious system that we miss who God actually is. God did not call you into a religion. God calls you into a relationship with him. And this is what Jesus is trying to burst through in this story. He's trying to destroy in this story. He says, he replied, the man who made me walk said to me, pick up your mat and walk. Verse 12, so they asked him, who is this fella who told you to pick up your mat and walk? I love how he asked the question. Who's that fella? Verse 13, "The the man who was healed had no idea, for it was Jesus who slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, And said to him, see, you are well again. And then look at the next words. These are shocking. I did not expect this in the story. Stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. So that because of Jesus doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. And in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work and I too am working. Now listen to me. This is wild. He, He heals a man who had been laying there next to this pool for 38 years. And yet Jesus looks at him and says, I've healed you and you can walk now, but I need you to do something. I need you to stop sinning. You're like, whoa, Jesus, that sounds super judgmental. Where did sin enter into the picture? This guy was just hurting. And that's because some of us have bought into the mindset that someone is either hurting or a sinner. They can't be both. And here's what Jesus understands, that everyone in this room is a sinner. I don't care how much hurt you've gone through. I do care, but I know that that hurt doesn't actually make you not a sinner. This man's a sinner. And here's what Jesus understands. He says, stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. See, here's what Jesus knows. Healing people is good. Saving them and forgiving their sins is better. Because here's the thing. Sometimes people ask me, um, why didn't Jesus just heal everyone? And that's like a fair question, right? Right? Like, if Jesus could heal the sick, why didn't he just go, you're you're healed, you're healed? Yeah, and just like go his entire life just healing people, if he could do that. And the answer is, imagine a world where that's all Jesus did. He just walked around healing sick people. Someone was sick, he healed them. And someone got sick, he healed them. And then 10 years later, that same person was sick and he healed them again. You know what we would have? A bunch of people walking around today who were 2,000 years old and keep being healed by Jesus. That's what we would have, right? Right? And you're like, why doesn't Jesus just keep everyone alive forever and heal all the sick forever? And you start to actually play that out in your mind and actually start to visualize that. You're like, no, that's not actually the reality I want. See, Jesus actually came into this world to do something much greater than heal physical illness, as important as that was. See, Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Because here's the deal about this man who was 38 years invalid, laying there, and Jesus healed him. You want to know the tragic part of the story? He still died. I don't have a verse for that. He's just a human, and he died someday. And you want to know what's beautiful about it? The beautiful story of the gospel is that this man who was healed by Jesus died, but that's not actually the end of his story. Like, I want you to know that the story of the gospel, the story of Jesus, is that that man is presently laying dead in a grave somewhere in Israel right now, but there will come a day where God will raise him to new life. And being resurrected to resurrection life on the last day is far better than Jesus sustaining you through illnesses for thousands of years. See, there will come a day where this man who was healed will rise up from the grave again. Because Jesus didn't just come to deal with physical illness. Jesus came to forgive sinners. See, I said that Jesus was the king who rules over God's people. But Jesus is the priest, the one who takes care of the sins of God's people. He is the final and definitive one who has the capacity not just to heal, but to forgive sins. And that's what he does for this man. He forgives this man's sins. He heals him. (laughs) You win some, you lose some. But that's what he does. He heals him. You do do your best in life. Here's how it goes in verse 18. (laughs) Oh, man. Life is good. All right, verse 18. It says for this reason. Jesus also said to heal me. That could have been the end. (laughs) I said that could have been the end, and you're all like, (laughs) ha, 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 Pastor Brian, dead. (laughs) I love you all, too. All right, verse 18. For this reason, they, and who is this? The Jewish leaders. For this reason, they, the Jewish leaders, tried all the more to kill him. Not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but because he, because he was even calling God his Father, making himself equal with God. Like, don't miss this. You saw this in the little video before. If you've just chalked up Jesus to this nice sort of hippie-like guy with long hair who just walked around being like, love one another and be chill and don't judge each other, and you've kind of like chalked up Jesus to like the nicest, most empathetic guy who would never make anyone upset, you haven't actually read the Bible. Jesus made a lot of people upset. They made, he made people so upset that they wanted to kill him. And they did kill him. And it says here one of the reasons they wanted to kill him, one of the reasons he wanted to kill him is because he declared God is the Father, I am the Son, he called himself equal with God. Listen to me, Jesus wasn't just a nice teacher who did some cool miracles. He's like, yeah, I'm God. Like he comes out and says it. And all throughout the Gospel of John, there's these claims he makes that makes himself equal with God. And this, like, confronts all of you. Because if someone calls themselves God, that's the deal breaker. And if they're right and they are God, we should worship him. And if they're wrong and they're not God, we should reject everything about them. It'd be like if I stood up here tonight and be like, hey, I introduced myself at the beginning. I was married to Danny. I got my three kids. I'm a pastor in Southern California. But the one thing I neglected to mention, I don't know if you guys know this, I am a deity who created the planet Mars, and I rule over the planet. See ya. You know, like, like, if I said that to you, here's the deal. If I actually said that to you, and I was up here saying, no, listen, I I am a deity. I am a god. And I created the planet Mars, I was like, boom, Mars. And then I rule over it, I am the god, I'm powerful. Right, if I said that to you, there are only two things that could be true. One is, I am actually a deity over the planet Mars, and you guys need to rethink everything, okay? There's actually another option. Option two is, I am a crazy person. I think I'm a deity over the planet Mars, but I am just nuts, I belong institutionalized. I should not be out in public because I'm so insane. I actually think I'm a god over the planet Mars. And option number three is I'm a liar. I'm lying to you to try to show I'm powerful to do that. And if I am a liar, you should not listen to me at all. If I am lying about who I am, you should not listen to any of my teaching. And if I am a lunatic, you should absolutely not listen to my teaching because I'm nuts. And if I am actually the God over planet Mars, you should listen to me because I am an almighty deity. Those are the only options. Lord, lunatic, liar. C.S. Lewis presents this and goes, listen, those are your only options in this world. Jesus can't just be a good teacher who was a human being who we should listen to, and he was totally lying about being God. If he was lying about being God, you shouldn't listen. But here's what Jesus says, and you've got to deal with this. I can't choose this for you. Jesus makes himself equal with God, and you've got to decide what to do with that. See, this is what Jesus does here. He makes them infuriated. They want to kill him because he makes himself equal with God. It goes on this way in chapter 6, verse 1. Again, we'll jump to this last chapter here. It says, sometime after this, Jesus cr- crossed to the shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Jesus went up onto a mountainside and sat down with his disciples, and the Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming toward him and said to Philip, Where are we going to buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him because he had in mind what he was going to do. Do you know, and some of you have just kind of like not thought about this in your life, do you know that sometimes God will test us? He won't tempt us. God will never tempt us. But the idea that God would test you and he would test your faith and see what kind of faith you actually have is something we see in the scriptures. That he might actually bring you through a season not because he hates you but because he loves you. That you may have gone through the most horrific season of your life and it is not because the God of the universe hates you. It is because he loves you. He wants to refine you. He wants to make you more like his son Jesus. This is what Jesus is doing in a very small way to to, to Philip here. He is trying to get him to become more of the type of person who's like Jesus, trusting God. Philip answers and totally whiffs on this. He goes, uh, it would take more than a year and a half's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish. But how will it go so far? He's like, here's a guy with a lunch pail, but I don't think it's going to feed this many thousands of people. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in the place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. When it says 5,000 men were there, that doesn't even count the women and children. It's like tens of thousands of people who are out there following Jesus. And Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Jesus takes this tiny little thing from this child who has five loaves and two fish. He's got like nothing. But a child, maybe even in this culture, a teenager, says, God, let me offer you this small little thing. And here's the truth about my God. Eyes on me right now. If you will offer God the small things of your life, if you will offer him your service, however small it might feel, there is no limit to what God will do with that. God will change the world through your small acts of obedience. And some of you look around the world and you think it is so hopeless. How could we possibly reach the world for Christ? How could anything possibly get better? And the answer is through small acts of obedience from teenagers, from young people, who are willing to have the courage to say, God, here's my life, here's my school, here's my family, here's my small group, here's my team, I'm willing to be faithful. God, just use me in whatever way possible. The point of this story is that God takes little things and through the power of the Holy Spirit, magnifies it to the world. Never, never doubt what God can do through small acts of obedience. It goes on this way in verse 14. It says, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet, who was to come into the world. Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So you remember last night, we talked, or this morning actually, we we talked about the fact that there was this prophet prophesied to come who was greater than Moses, who would step in and be the final prophet for God's people. And here in John chapter 6, they finally decide and declare that Jesus is the prophet. And here's what I need you to know of Jesus. Jesus is the final prophet who reveals what God is like to the world. You want to know what God is like? He is an invisible God. But you don't have to guess. You can look at Jesus. When I look at Jesus, I see exactly what God is like. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us he is the exact imprint of God's nature. Look, if I want to know what God is all about, I can point to Jesus. If I want to know what God thinks about something, how God would treat someone, I point to Jesus. If I want to know how God would look at someone who has special needs, I point to Jesus. If I want to know how God would treat a young person, a teenager who offers up faith, I point to Jesus. If I want to see how God would treat a young woman who has a sexually tattered past and feels frustrated and ashamed and embarrassed about her life, I point to Jesus. I don't have to guess. I can point to him. Jesus is the final prophet who reveals what God is actually like. Verse 35, Jesus declares, I am the way. Actually, we'll skip down to 35. I think we were, yep. We're going to skip down to verse 35. I just want to show you one more statement Jesus makes about himself. It says, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. See, seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes these I am statements. What he's trying to say is, this is who I am. I am revealing God to you. He says, I am the bread of life. In chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. Chapter 10, I am the door. Chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. He is the way, the truth, and the light. I am the resurrection and the light. I am the vine. Jesus is revealing who he is to the people because in revealing himself, Jesus is revealing who God actually is. Again, tonight my burden is that you would see Jesus clearly. And the reason I want you to see Jesus clearly is because when you know who Jesus is, then you will know what God is like. When you see who Jesus is, you won't have to wonder what God's all about. You'll know what he's all about. And then skip with me down to verse 66 of chapter 6. It says this, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And you know what I love about Jesus? He doesn't stop them. Can I just say this over you tonight? Jesus is who he is, and you can follow him or you cannot follow him, but he's not going to change his ways. He's not going to water down the message. He's not going to compromise on his standards so that you will. Jesus demands your entire life and nothing less. And if that causes you to walk away, Jesus will grieve that, but he will not stop you. He will allow you to walk away and go do your own thing. It says all of these people walked away and no longer followed him because Jesus was calling not just for some of their lives, but for all of it. Then verse 67, he turns to his disciples and says, You don't want to leave too, Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Here's the final claim I want you to know about my Jesus. The final claim I want you to see tonight. That Jesus is the Holy One of God. And here's what holiness means. I want you to know holiness means three things. When it comes to our God, that's to say that God is holy. He is the Holy One of God. It means three things. Write these down. Number one, it means God is utterly different. Holiness means God is utterly different than us. He is not a bigger, better version of you. Sometimes people say things like, if I were God, here's what I would do. It would be like an ant saying, if I were Brian Howard, here's how I would live. I'd be like, get out of here. What do you know? You're an ant." That's what it's like. God is utterly different than you. His ways are not your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He is utterly different. Write this down, number two. He is totally righteous. God's holiness means everything God says is right is right, and everything God says is wrong is wrong. And if God says it's right, it's good, and if God says it's wrong, It's bad. And God says, woe to you. Woe to you. Like, you should be afraid if you call what is good evil and evil good. If you get it twisted, what God actually said, and start celebrating things God called sin, woe to you. And if you take the things God calls good and call those things sin, woe to you. That's what the scriptures say. Again, Jesus just wants your whole life. He wants your obedience. He wants everything. He wants you to see him as totally righteous. What does it mean for God to be holy? It means that he is utterly different. It means he is totally righteous. And finally, it means he is eternally glorified. To say that God is holy, to cry out, holy, holy, holy God, is to declare that he is the glorious one above all things. And we submit our lives to him. To say that God is holy is to say that God is big and I am really small. Like, like the other day, I got here to camp, and chapel was starting a little later on, on Monday night, and so I had an opportunity to walk up to that little lookout spot that's up there, and I was just looking out over this valley. And, and you know what, in that moment, you know what I felt when I was looking out over the valley and these monstrous mountains and these trees? I felt like this big. And do you know that it's good for us all to feel this big sometimes? Because all of us live in a world that tries to puff you up and make you big. Like you have your own web pages where you're like, here's how awesome I am. And so the temptation is to think you're big and awesome and a big deal. Do you know who you are? You're a little deal. And I'm a little deal. And we're all a little deal. And God is a big deal. So when I say God is holy, what I'm trying to say is God is glorified and I am not. God is awesome and I am not. God is big and I am small. And that's the best news in the universe. Because I don't have to hold everything in my hands. I don't have to handle everything. I don't have to fix every problem. I can just trust God and submit my life to him. See, Peter looks at Jesus and goes, you are the holy one of God. See, tonight I started with a very simple question. And here was the question. Who do you think Jesus is? And I hope tonight you've seen clearly who he is. If you're a Christian, I hope you've seen who Jesus is and not some made-up version of Jesus you want to follow or worship. He wants all of your life. You can take him, you can leave him, you can receive him, you can reject him, but you can't change him. See, some Christians actually think they get a vote on who Jesus is. They're like, well, my Jesus would never call this sin. My Jesus would never call me to do something like this. My Jesus would never judge anyone, even though it says that Jesus will, in fact, come back to glory to judge the living and the dead. You don't get a vote. Like You need to really internalize that. Jesus is who he is, and you do not get a vote. And then again, if you are not a Christian, you're just trying to figure this thing out, I want you to know that Jesus is the Holy One of God, the Messiah, the final prophet, the final priest, the final king. He is God himself. That is who he is. And he bids you to come and follow him. You don't get a vote. Jesus is who he is. So here's how we're going to close tonight. Our band's going to make their way out. And we're going to sing a song that's uh, actually about like 20 years old or so. Uh, And it's called, Open the Eyes of My Heart. Um, And maybe some of you remember this, but this this song says, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. And then here's what it says, and here's what we're about to sing. I want to see you. Like, I want to see you. I want to see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Here's what we're about to sing in just a moment. God, I want to see you clearly because when we see God clearly, everything else in our life falls into place. And that's my desire for you tonight, that you would see Jesus clearly for who he is. And then the bridge of the song says this, that you are holy, holy, holy. And when we sing out that Jesus is holy, 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 tonight in just a few minutes, when you're crying out, holy, holy, Remember that you are declaring that God is utterly different, totally righteous, and eternally glorified. See, I told you tonight that superhero movies all go the same way, right? It starts with everything being right. And then it goes to something going horribly wrong. And then the hero steps onto the scene. But superhero movies always end the same way, right? big battle scene, epic and final battle where everything comes to the climax and the enemy is defeated, the enemy is put down and all things are made to rights and I need you to know the reason you find that compelling is because that's what's going to happen with our Jesus someday in this world. Do you know that the Bible says that there will come a day where Jesus will crack the eye, crack the sky and every eye will see him and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He will judge the living and the dead and he will put all things to rights. That's our Jesus. So when we cry, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, what we are crying out is, God, until we see you face to face, until that day where Jesus Christ returns in glory to judge the living and the dead, would you give us faith to believe that Jesus is who he said he is and can do exactly what he said he will do. Let's take a moment. Let's pray. And then we're going to stand and sing. In fact, would you stand with me as we pray? And we'll jump into the song. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Once more, God, we want to praise you and thank you that you are a good God. You are coming back, God. You are Jesus, the exalted one. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God, the resurrected one, our king, our final prophet, and the good God who is going to return to make all things right. Jesus, open the eyes of our heart. Now we pray in Christ's name. And all God's people said real loud.